Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to cover verses 13 to 14. And the title of the message today is, Though none go with me, still I will follow. This is sermon number 32 through the book of Matthew. And we're doing a series titled Jesus Worldview, where we look through his eyes, his view, over and over and over again. And I hope by the end of this series, family, we had digested Jesus' worldview so much that in the future, as the culture comes at us, we are actually able to navigate through all of the fog of what's going on. Pastor, do you have a hard time navigating sometimes? I do. I have a hard time as well, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out what we should be doing and how we should be loving and how we should be serving. It's not easy. Uh, but we need to learn to stand with Christ and make that our anthem all the days of our life. If we do this, we know it will go well. We can trust him. It's a little more serious this morning, so I, I took out the joke. But this is a, uh, this is a real story that actually happened a hundred and 50 years ago. There was a great revival in Wales, England. And as a result of this, many missionaries came from England and Germany to Northeast India to spread the gospel. At the time, Northeast India was not divided into many states it is, it is today. The region was known as Assam and compromised hundreds of tribes. The tribal community were quite primitive and aggressive by nature. The tribes uh, were also called head, the tribals were also called headhunters because of the social custom which required the male members of the community to collect as many heads as possible. A man's strength and ability to protect his wife and uh, was assisted by the number of heads he had collected. Therefore, a youth of marriageable age would try and collect as many heads as possible and hang them on the wall of his house. The more heads a man had, the more eligible he was considered. Into this hostile, aggressive community came a group of wealth, wealth missionaries spreading the message of love, peace, and hope of Jesus. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One Welsh missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. The man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to accept Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man instantly composed a song which became famous down the years. He sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both boys lay on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man sang these words in reply, Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down in the moment she joined her two children. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. And in the face of death, the man sang the final memorable line, 
the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. He was shot to death like the rest of his family, but with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. He wondered why should this man, his wife and two children, die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago. There must be some supernatural power behind the family, and I want that supernatural power. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Dr. P.P. Job, an Indian preacher in his book, wrote about this, Why God, Why? When we sing that old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And we put that into our context today. We're not facing any of these things. We're not facing any of these major challenges. Nobody's going to stick an arrow in our face. But what you must know, family, you must know the history of Christians and the history of followers of God. For hundreds, if not thousands of years, there have been men and women who stand in the gap against those who would want to tear down Christ and tear down the work of God and kill people for it. They dig their heels in the sand and they stand against it. Why? It's because they're not living for this life. They're living for the next their eyes are set on eternity. And I know life feels so real, and it is right now. And it can overtake and overwhelm to become so consumed with what is right in front of me. I know, me too. And to lose sight of eternity. But in these supernatural moments, this is what is happening. When people dig their heels in the sand for Christ, like this man, People for hundreds of years end up singing the hymn that came from his mouth. And how many more were saved by this single story? Do you know that all of Jesus' apostles died? Every single one of them died for standing for him. Minus John, who they tried to kill. They tried to boil him in a pot of oil. And he wouldn't die. And so they sent him to the island of Patmos to be abandoned there by himself and to die there. Then he gets the book of Revelation. But every single one of them, they were shot through with arrows, they were filleted, they were crucified upside down, they were thrown off the pinnacle of the temple just for believing and following Christ, the Messiah. Though it's not easy to be a Christian in this society, we got a pretty sweet and what are we trying to do, family? We're simply trying to point people to love the Lord their God and to love and serve one another. It is that simple. And what was this man doing going into that tribe? He wanted them to stop cutting people's heads off and hanging them on their doors, trying to teach them the love of God who made them and how to love and serve one another in community. He went in with the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, the, mes the message, the story of life, and was declaring it to this tribe. We have a lot of tribes here in LA. We need to go into those tribes and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I think more than ever, Christ is drawing a line in the sand in our city, calling Christians to truly walk with Him and live for His glory. The confusion, confusion in our nation is the confusion in the Christian, not living for God's glory. The best trick the enemy can play on the church is to fill them with Christians who won't stand for Him. It's the best thing the enemy could ever do. We don't need to be jerks. We don't need to be mean. We don't need to do that. We can kill people with kindness. We can overwhelm them with the love and grace of God. Doesn't matter if you've got a problem with them. Love them. Serve them. Pray for those who curse you. Bless your enemies, Jesus would say. We got to find a way. We got to figure it out. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're covering two verses today, verse 13 and 14. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we're reading. It's not mine. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ ministering to us. That's why we stand in honor of him. Matthew chapter 7, take a look at verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gates. For the gates is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few let's pray lord this is a hard saying these are hard words but we pray that you would reveal it to us that you would your yoke would be easy your burden would be light we would know you and understand, with you, understand you, and it would be a joy to walk with you. Please, Lord, minister to our hearts this morning. Grow our hearts and our minds for you. We love you, King. We're thankful for this time together as a church. Bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus has basically concluded his sermon on the mount. And from here until the end of the chapter, he is exhorting his disciples that it is not enough to just listen to words, but they must be lived out. And he starts giving illustration after illustration of what it looks like to live out the Beatitudes, live out the commands of Christ. He's then charging us just to live them out. We've listened to a lot of sermons, huh? We've got a lot of sermons under our, be uh, under our belt as Christians. We have a wealth of it online. You can get it anywhere. Podcasts. You can listen to any preacher on the planet basically right now. You got a wealth of sermons and we've heard them. We've heard many of them. But it is time to be reminded that we need to be just simply living these things out. He draws a line in the sand between two types of people. Those who live the Sermon on the Mount and then those who don't. Those who have fruit in their lives and those who don't. Those who build their life on the rock and those who don't. Jesus is clearly showing that his disciples not only receive him as Savior, but they follow him as Lord of their lives. You can see who follows Jesus. 
They receive him as Savior. We all need this. We all love this. Who doesn't love that? Lord, save me. Save me from myself. But then they follow him as Lord. You are the Lord, not me. You are the Lord, not me. I follow you. I don't follow me. I follow you. A Jesus follower. These call them Jesus freaks in the 90s. They call them Jesus people in the 70s. A Jesus follower. You know, the name Christian was actually given to the people who were following Jesus in the New Testament by non-believers. The non-believers called them Christians. What does the word Christian mean? If you didn't know... Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. He is Jesus of Nazareth. Christ is the word Messiah. Jesus Messiah. It's a title. And so when they call him Christians, they're saying Messiah followers. And so they labeled these people in the first century, they labeled them Messiah followers, Christians, and the non-believers did it. Those are those Jesus followers over there. Would somebody call you a Jesus follower? Yeah. Amen, sir. <laughs> it's one of those, you know, if... You're put into a court of law, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty of being a Jesus follower? I know, I get it. I live here too, and sometimes it feels like, man, if I'm, if I'm too Christian or too overtly Jesus follower here, it's going to be off-putting to people, and you're like, ah, you know? You ever pull out a Bible in a public place? They're like, whoa, what are you doing? Whoa, 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 man. Keep that at home, you know? You pull out a gun or something, you know, it's like, what is that? Whoa, what are you doing? Calm down. It's just a Bible, man. It's alive. It's powerful. It convicts people, challenges people. It's a magical book. The divine words of God on paper. Jesus says a command to his disciples. He's speaking to them directly. He says, enter by the narrow gate. He gives his reason why you should enter by the narrow gate in the next two statements. But let's talk about a narrow gate for a moment. A narrow gate, as we see in these verses, is not wide. It's not as big as the stage. It is a narrow gate. And only a few can fit through it. Not many, not a lot of people. It's a narrow gate. It's hard to enter. In contrast, a wide gate that is easy. The word picture is first a gate. A gate, the entrance of a wall of a city, a palace or a town, temple or prison. Jesus adds the word narrow to this word gate. Think of a giant city with huge walls, but the entryway into the city is very, very narrow, a very small door. Think of long walls that are very narrow, so narrow that it is only one person wide. What came to mind is, um, is three different places. Um, number one would be 
Petra. Petra is in Jordan. Anybody been to Petra? No one. Yes, true. Um, we got to go. We should go to Petra. Um, it's really incredible. It's a city of 30,000 caves. And it's a city of sandstone. It's in the deserts of Jordan. And the Nabataeans 2,000 years ago carved caves with their hands. But it's really a trip because if you pick up a rock and you walk up to the side of this like 300-foot mountain and you just take a stone and you start carving into the side of it, it's like beach sand falls off. You can start carving into the side of it, but it's so dense and so compacted, it's solid. So you can carve structures into the side of it and there's temples carved into the side of it. So Petra is, um, you know, the classic scene in Indiana Jones where he's walking, he, he's walking through that very narrow path and then all of a sudden it opens up and you see this temple-like structure into the red sandstone. Um, well, you have to go look it up. It's called, the, it's a treasury. But that narrow path, th this is what it is. It's called the Sik, S-I-Q. And uh, when you, you take a horse or something down there, you walk down this path, and then when you come to the Sik, it's the entrance into the city of Petra. And the, re the reason they built it this way is so that no, no large army could ever enter through to attack them. And so what would happen is, that the thing is about this narrow in a couple places, but it goes up like 100 feet, 200 feet. It's a trip to do. You're walking through this little tight thing. And what they would do is when people would come through, they'd throw rocks down on them, they'd dump boiling oil on them to kill them. And so you, you wind through this thing, and then all of a sudden it opens up, and there's a giant temple right in front of you. It's really amazing to see. The sick is number one. Number two is Hezekiah's tunnel, which is under Israel, and only one person can fit in, and sometimes when you're going through, your shoulders will touch. Hezekiah's tunnel is about a 30-minute walk underground in water up to your knees. It's amazing. It's narrow. Um, what was the other one I was thinking of? I can't remember now. Oh, well, I guess. Oh, Zion. Anybody been to the Narrows in Zion? Or you've been to, yeah, the, Zion's a great place. It's right in our backyard, not too far from Utah. Um, there's some narrow paths there as well. Jesus said it's, it's not wide, it's narrow, and only a few can enter. This is important to have this picture. The gate is narrow, and it's a path not easy. There are a few on this path. We'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So the Lord's encouragement to go after the narrow gate is a contrast of the way that leads to destruction. He says, go through the narrow gate because the other gate that is wide is easy, but this is the way of destruction that is easy. First thing to note is Jesus speaks of two gates, two ways, two paths. Notice he is referring to a choice and a decision that has to be made. The narrow gate that leads to life or the wide gate that leads to destruction. I'm reminded of Joshua when he told the people of Israel in Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. 
Joshua said, though none go with me, still I will follow. For me and my house, we will serve God. We will serve the Lord. I don't care what everybody else is doing. It's one of the things that LA has uh, done for me in just a matter of seven years of being here is I think being able to taste of a lot of uh, the different ways of life here in LA, I don't know, just experiencing um, wealth at a high level with somebody, experiencing a, a, a cool experience, an opportunity, um, being able to see things up close that I thought were absolutely uh, intouchable and just being able to get close to these things and see these people, rub shoulders with people and, and be in rooms and see things happen. It really is basically, I, I mean, in my own mind to see that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. I, I, I can see very clearly that it just doesn't do what your mind tells you it's going to do. And when you just look at these people up close, or you experience any of that, you see, wow, they're just real people, just like everybody else. And they may just have a little bit more money or a little more fame or a little more power, um, a little bit more whatever, um, a great view or, or getting to certain places in life, you start to realize that it just doesn't do it. And I think that's actually a freeing moment in life when you realize you don't need any of that stuff. If it comes to you, praise God. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, not to care about what everybody else is doing, to be so caught up with what everybody else is doing, so worried about what everybody else is doing, just do what God has called you to do. You be secure in that. You do what God has called you to do. For me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If he blesses me with this or blesses me with that, that's great. Everything else is a bonus. I'm just having fun. I'm just in doing what's right in front of me. I'm trying to do this for God's glory. I have a friend that I grew up with. He was my best friend because we spent just a lot of time together. And we are currently on two different paths completely. It's very weird to me because we had told each other when we first started walking with God that we would enter through the narrow gate and remain on that straight path forever. And now we could not be in more polar opposite places right now on the planet. Both of us were on staff at the church. Both of us were pursuing. Both of us were teaching. Both of us were discipling. Both of us were doing all these things. And somehow, by the grace of God, I am here. And it does sadden me to see that my friend has gone all the way over there. I could have never thought it in a million years. Why? Because he was here, a Christian, worshiping God, making disciples. He was teaching Bible studies, great teacher. And now he wants nothing to do with Christ. Two paths, two places. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Notice this is something personal to you. You've got to make that own, your own connection with God. Jesus points out that the gate that leads to destruction is wide. Very wide. Picture city walls that a gate as wide as an open freeway. Five, six lanes. Super wide. You can, you can run a semi-truck. You can run five semi-trucks through that thing. And there are many who choose this path. It's wide like the Grand Canyon. 
Many different paths, many different places in it, but there are many who choose this. Jesus said this is an easy way and many enter by it. People like easy, nobody likes hard things. But people will choose easy many times over the hard even if there is a great reward at the end of the road. Jesus is pointing this out to his disciples. Why? Because they're about to enter the most difficult period probably of their life. He's about to launch them into the world to go preach the gospel to people who do not want the gospel. They're going to be in jail. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be crucified. They're going to be rejected. Jesus told us this would happen. So why are we surprised when it happens to us? Here are things that are very hard but worth it. Very difficult, but absolutely worth it. Staying married. Yep, absolutely worth it. Those people are married 50, 60 years, you look into their eyes, it's like, you have gold that very few on the planet ever have. I don't know how you did it. Because it's so easy just to push the button. Say I'm out. It's very hard, but it's worth it. Hey, eating healthy and exercising, very hard, but it's worth it. Breaking addictions, very hard, but it's worth it. Staying organized and disciplined, very hard, but it's worth it. Walking with Jesus. It's very hard, why? Because the whole world's going the other direction, but it's worth it. What in life that is wonderful comes easy? Not very many things. James Dobson said about marriage, when you consider the many pressures that couples face today, only an ironclad determination will hold them together for a lifetime. Those who go into marriage with a mushy commitment are likely to wobble and fall apart when the hard times come. And as we all know, hard times will come. It's not easy, but man, is it worth it climbing that mountain. I know people who've been married 40, 50, 60 years. When they've done it unto the glory of God, man, what a treasure. How they bless their kids and bless their grandkids, and there's just like a Moses like glow around them. You're just like, man. They're not up with the times, they're not up with anything, you know? There's nothing fantastic about them according to the world standards, and you're just like, you are amazing people. How did you do this? If you've gone through some difficulty in family or marriage, know this, Jesus wants to redeem. He wants to make things new. We get a new opportunity and he's doing it now. Humans are drawn to what is comfortable, easy, and requires little change. And Jesus requires we change everything. It is impossible to do it without him changing our minds and our hearts. I can't change my own mind. I have to beg God to change me. I hate when I do things in repetition that I don't like about myself. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Stop doing that. And many times I can't stop. And so what do I need to do? Call on God to save me from myself. Lord, build my heart. Change my mind. I rely on you. We need the Lord. Many people are on the road of easy, and the sad thing is Jesus warns about it. It is a way that leads to destruction. 
Anybody been on that easy road? I have. It's not easy. It's not, it's not easy as they say. <laughs> you get on that easy road and what's up happening? Everything starts falling apart. It's like it's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be fun, right? Come on, land. Let's go to Vegas. Let's party for like two weeks. Let's do this. At the end of the two weeks, you're like, damn, I'm like broke. And like I... <laughs> Um, I, I feel absolutely terrible about myself now. And, uh, okay, let's get back at it. Let's uh, leave that in Vegas and get back to it. The easy life of serving self. Think about this. If you build the easy life of serving you in every single situation, basically you position yourself to be the winner in every single situation. You know what ends up happening? You become extremely selfish and arrogant, greedy, and people stop liking you because it's all about you. You've created a scenario. You've served yourself to the maximum degree and you forgot to help the person next to you. Who do we love the most? Those people who are kind and humble and, and serve and help. These people are fantastic, but that's the hard way. That's not the easy way to put self down and to exalt others. This isn't easy. This is the way of Christ. That's the hard way, but it leads to life. The easy way leads to destruction and destroys everything. A person left to themselves will eventually find destruction. Sin takes over like weeds and just chokes out everything. Without Christ, humans are left to repeat the sins of their fathers and their fathers' fathers and their fathers' fathers' fathers. We don't learn from history. It's amazing to watch. We do the exact same things in the 21st century that people were doing thousands of years ago. It, that's what's a trip to me is, I, I know I say this a lot, but it really is surprising to me that we think we're on the cutting edge of evolving, and maybe we are with technology, but as far as morality goes, and as far as uh, the changing of civilization and society, all you got to do is read one time through this thing and you're like, oh, wow, all, all of this that we're talking about, this all happened thousands of years ago. There's been many civilizations who've already gone through these things. We just got a couple extra bells and whistles. Divorce, broken families, addiction, laziness, no compassion or love or grace for others, hate, racism, greed, power, pride, selfishness. This is the road that most people take. This is the path to destruction. This road brings about depression, sadness, pain, and anger. It's very sad. My counsel people and families, this is ultimately what we're identifying, the sinful path. Sinning creates hurt and pain and destruction in life. Obedience to Christ produces the opposite, love, joy, peace, kindness, and rest. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But don't worry, I have come that they may have life and that abundantly. The Lord Jesus is trying to give you life and that abundantly. I love looking at life this way. I'm going to love God with all my heart. I'm just going to walk in His ways. I'm going to love all the people around me the best that I can. And then I'm just going to have an absolute blast on the earth. I'm going to try to have more fun than anybody. Just have a great time enjoying the earth around me. Life in that abundantly. The wide gate, easy. Many find it. It leads to destruction. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So the narrow gate is completely opposite. The wide gate, it's hard, not easy. Whoever told or tried to convince us Christianity is an easy road is wrong. 
and dangerous. That's deceptive. That's the problem with a lot of churches these days. They just want more people in the seats, so they will tell them whatever the people want to hear to get them in the seats. This is how you create bad Christians, uh, people who confess themselves as followers of Jesus but don't actually follow them with all their heart, right? I mean, this could be the mo one of the most detrimental things. It's somebody who says, I am, I am a, a Christian. I am a Christian. And then they go and live the opposite of a Christian and tear people down and destroy people's lives and do all of this. And we're like, dude, do not, please, don't do that. Please walk with the Lord. I understand. It's a process. We're all growing. We're all trying to figure it out. But we need to make sure our, our heart is set on Him as Lord and Savior. Jesus spoke about this, about counting the cost to follow Him. Did you know that? He said, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. Count the cost before you follow me. He said this in Luke 14, 25. Preachers listening, thanks for tuning in. This is for you. Preachers, a secret tip how to clear out a crowd. Are you ready? Learn from Jesus. Luke 14, 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. How many? Probably 5,000. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus said that yeah, to this large crowd. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. If you want to be my disciple, he said, for who will begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might completely complete the only, only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building but couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselor to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could, could, could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against them? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Jesus gives two pictures. He says, you don't start a construction project before you have money in the bank. I'm going to build a mansion. Are you sure? With what? Mm, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. This would be foolish. He said, don't go to war unless you actually have men to go to war with. Why would you do that? He says, count the cost. Then notice he said something is radical unless you hate your family and even hate your own life. You can't be my disciple. What is he saying? He's saying in comparison to the way that you love God, your commitment to God sometimes seems to the world around you like, man, you don't even like, why, why are you so committed to your God? Why are you so committed to your God? Why aren't you more committed to us than your God? You're like, I love God. I'm committed to Him. Sometimes in comparison, people would think there is hate for them. Few people find this road to life. Why? Because Jesus said it's hard. People don't want it. There's another time when Jesus cleared out a crowd. He said, hey guys, he did it on purpose. Unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you can have no part in my kingdom. And they're like, what? And it says in the text, the crowds went away because it was a hard saying. The disciples even come up afterwards and they're like, Lord, why'd you do that? What, what, what do you mean? What is this? He says, are you guys going to leave too? They said, where are we going to go? You alone have the words to eternal life. We're not going anywhere. 
The reason it's hard for us is because of the sinful nature within us. Our sinful nature draws us downstream with the rest of the salmon, or I should say upstream. The water is flowing downstream, and that is where the world is going, the salmon going upstream the opposite direction. We trying to swim, swim against the current is not easy. But this is what Christ calls us to do. It leads to life. It's a life of following Jesus. Is it hard, difficult, sacrificial, and not easy? Yes, many times. Could you lose friends, family, job, status, wealth? Yes. But in life with Christ, you can also lose discontentment and depression. You get to lose sadness and anger and hate. Jesus replaces it with contentment, peace, joy, happiness, rest, forgiveness, and a relationship with God. It's the best life forever. It is the way people have been designed to live. It is the most rewarding, blessed life there is. I love my life. I love life. I get to love God. I get to love and serve people. And then I get to catch waves, right? It's so much more joyful to, to catch a wave with all these burdens not being on your back. I'm not paranoid. I remember when I wasn't walking with God being paranoid all the time stressed out, nervous about things. It's a joy to stop creating problems for life and just walk with God. It's a blessing. A life with Jesus Christ is the greatest adventure ever. Never a dull moment. I'm going to leave you with four things very quickly. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, you can write them down. Number one, leave the world at the narrow gate. Christianity is not popular. We have been trained to live in the world and swim in the direction of the world. And all of a sudden, Christ calls us to go the opposite direction. It's not easy. I know. Everybody is going the other way. It's not popular, and it's not ever going to be popular. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? It doesn't mean we shouldn't be friends with non-believers. We actually should, so that we can love and serve them and point them to God. This is a good thing. But we need to be careful to be yoked with a non-believer. And the yoke is the, uh, it's the wood piece that goes over the back of the two oxen. You hold the oxen together and they plow the field together. This is dangerous. You don't want to yoke yourself together uh, day in and day out with a non-believer because, you know, we may think we're going to pull them up out of the mud, but most of the times we end up getting pulled um, down and we end up finding ourselves falling into all kinds of things. Leave the world at the narrow gate. Have non-believing friends, please. Co-workers, love and serve them. Make these connections. Make these, make these moves. But at the end of the day, make sure that you are yoked and connected to some great believers who can pray for you and encourage you, okay? Point number two, leave the worldliness at the narrow gate. So first, leave the world at the narrow gate. Then number two, leave worldliness at the narrow gate. Not only do we leave the relationships of the world that are pulling us away from Christ, we also leave the traditions and philosophies of the world at the door. And we follow Jesus. Romans 6, 12, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God 
as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 8, 2, for in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do not keep living in worldliness. You've been set free from all of those ways. Walk in righteousness and be blessed. Walk in righteousness and allow God to bless you. You see, people around you, your friends, your family, and your coworkers will see it in your life. As you just walk with God and still have fun, still have a blast. But there's a line drawn. It's like, oh, we're going to go do this. Like, I'm good, dude. I'm, I don't want to do that. I'm good. You guys party, though, man. Party hard. Get after it. See you next week. I always make fun of my worldly friends who do this stuff, you know? Make fun of them, give them a hard time. They try to clown me, you know, for not joining. I clown them back, you know? I'm like, oh, you're going to get smashed and, like, you know, just complete. Yeah, you're not, not going to be able to wake up. It's going to be so cool, huh, man? It's so fun. I know. It's great. See you in the morning. Have fun. Have fun. We don't need to be jerks. We, need to be, we don't need to be mean. I hope that our light would shine so bright here in L.A. that people would just love us, be such a joy to be around, and say, man, I just like you a lot, you know. You're a great person. And I don't really like the Jesus thing, but I just, I just like you. You're like, that is the thing about me, man. It's the Jesus thing. Point number three, leave self at the narrow gate. Let's leave ourselves at the narrow gate. Luke 9, 24, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. We get to deny ourselves daily, and it's really a good thing. If you give yourself everything that you want, Think about a child giving themselves everything they want. It's so bad for us. I know we live in a society that's like you click a button and it shows up tonight. Amazon Prime is pretty sweet, but man, is it dangerous. I have Amazon Prime, yes. One day delivery is fantastic, but it, it's teaching us to, there are so many things in this world teaching us to give ourselves self-gratification, satisfaction, pleasure, and materialism, everything at the highest level. Like we almost literally never tell ourselves no. And so that's why these are hard sayings. When Christ says, anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, stop following your sinful desires. Those desires in you, deny yourself that. Say no there it is. Say no to those feelings inside that you have that haunt you. I was born with those feelings. I know you were. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Everyone has to deny the feelings with inside that are contrary to the ways of Christ. That's making him Lord. That is a Christ follower. I don't get to get angry and ticked off and want to go and kill that person on the freeway. I got to deny those feelings. I don't get to get so worked up over a situation where I want to lie about it so that I can get ahead. I got to deny those feelings. 
We've got to deny ourselves in a lot of ways. Christ calls us to better. Point number four and finally, you are not alone on the narrow path. Jesus is leading you. The church is with you. You are not alone on the narrow path. You're not alone. The Lord is with you. John 16, 33, I have said these things to, me, to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the whole world, he says. I got this. I got the whole thing. Got the whole world in my hands. Though none go with me, still I will follow. But I would hope that we would all follow. That we would walk with the Lord. We would know him. Look, we're all on a journey. We're all in different seasons of life. We're all trying to figure it out. And I want you to know that he is the good shepherd. He's not leaving any sheep behind. Doesn't matter if you're in a season where you're not feeling like running. That's okay. He has green grass for you. He has pastures to lay in. He has water. He's going to take care of you. He's going to shepherd and guide you. He's going to grow you. God takes care of his sheep. He's shepherding well today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We reflect now on the work of the cross again, Lord, that though we have sinned against you, you have made a bridge and a way for us to be connected to our God. Jesus, we thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for taking our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins the sin that is stopping us from our relationship with you. And we call upon you to be saved right now. Lord, would you forgive us of our sin? Lord, would you raise us to life? We choose to repent. We choose to turn away from the ways of the world. We choose to turn away from worldliness. We choose to turn to you with all of our hearts. We choose to make you Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that those that are confessing this in their heart, confessing this in their mind. Would you meet them right where they're at right now? Would you heal them? Would you bless them? Would you fill them with peace? Would you fill them with life in that abundantly? We need you, Lord. Father, I pray for our church that you would send more godly Christians around each of us to encourage and strengthen us in our relationships, friendships, would you help us deepen our commitment to you? We need you, Lord. We can't do this without you. We love you, King. You are the King. We follow you. Bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.